Fantastic4.html is brought to you by the fine folks at cageclub.me. So for all things movies, music, comics, TV, and more, check out the folks at cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. I'm Nico. And I'm Kevo. And this is, of course, HTML. Fan for stick. Yeah! And everybody, I want you guys to grab your favorite four stick, maybe even your favorite five stick, because- Whoa, hey, slow down there. Hey, I can't help it. I'm excited, because we've got with us some of the most fantastic hosts we could have on this podcast. No? It's fine. Okay, cool. So, with us, as- <laughs> going to be taking this space journey with us this entire time is the one the only my favorite guy to torture a joey hello hello i am back i mean we are is this coming up before or after the movie that never came out this is coming out after the movie that never so came i'm out. back yeah you're so back thank you and Oh, you're back, you're front, you're both here. And it's so important that, and I'm not even being silly, it actually is really important to me that if you're going to discuss the Fantastic Four and the best member of the Fantastic Four is going to be a woman, you have a woman on your show so she can bathe in the fantastic myth that is Sue Storm. I don't think I like talking about our only woman on the show in terms of bathing. Yeah, I was going to say. So everybody just welcome to us! Hey, how's it going? Well, you know, it was going better before I implied you should bathe with us. So well, you I... Know, it might be a fun time i don't know it might be kind of weird but hey i'm up for it well I, I, like a schwitz it's 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 fine it's comfortable it's nice or it could be bathing in cosmic radiation oh Ooh, the fallout is everywhere so yes, it really is okay but before we can even get into anything else I have to be honest. The Corman movie is charming compared to this movie. Yes. Like, I actually think if you watch the Roger Corman and then you watch this one, Doom in the Corman movie becomes the greatest thing that could ever happen. Especially with the backstories of both and the fact that the actors didn't even realize it was an Ashcan movie, so they were doing their best, and, like, how quickly they scrambled to make that one versus the 10 years that it took to make the Fantastic Four by Tim Story, like everything about the Corman comes across as infinitely more charming than what we subjected all of y'all to for this episode. There were things about it that weren't terrible. My first impression on watching this movie, I mean, we, you know, there's been a there's been a gap between, so I don't remember a lot of specifics about that other than like the 240p quality that we ripped off YouTube, right? Because like that's where it lives. I... <laughs> When I started this movie, I was like, oh, it's amazing how, like, visible everything is. Like, I can actually see what's going on. And that was my first <laughs> takeaway. I'm like, oh, it's a movie that I can I recognize as a movie. That's an accurate, we felt, accurate. Yeah, we felt that this was beautiful. Like, visually, for when this came out, I was shocked. I was expecting some of the graphics to be embarrassing because it's 2005. But even the elastic stuff with Yon Griffith wasn't nearly as bad as I was anticipating. It didn't even look half bad by today's standards. It would be a little 
little bit cleaner, a little bit sharper, but that's, you know, about it. Now, I, I want to start with an important question. And Jess, I'm going to bring the question to you first, and then I'm going to open it to the floor. But Jess, for your money, I think, well, let me rewind one sec. I think we can all agree that the men are all meant to be sexually potent in some way. Oh, yeah. They're all meant to be beautiful in some way or another. And Michael Chiklis, they even try and like, you know, they try and tamp down his man titties. They worked on it a little bit, right? So which guy for you, and I mean, obviously Chris Evans, so beautiful. It doesn't even make sense, but Johnny sucks so hard. <laughs> so which guy for you had all of the fantastic machismo? I mean, I'm going to say, I still have to say Chris Evans. He's he's too beautiful. He could be a jerk to me. I, I don't even care. I feel the same way. Stanley Tucci could tell me that I smell bad and that I'm a terrible kisser and I'd be like, just give me your balls again. So <laughs> I really get it. Kevo, for you, are you a uh, Chris Evans? Are you a uh, Michael Chick Chack? Or are you looking all kinds of... Yeah, that name. Um, yeah, I do want to gonna... say, I, I mean, I like that Kevo already like effortlessly had like a Welsh flex before when he effortlessly pronounced uh, his name. I watch once. a lot of Doctor Who. <laughs> Chimuru Wales for life. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go with Jess, I think, and say Johnny. I don't really have much interest in Ben, not even based on appearance, but personality. And this was not a very strong performance of Reed Richards, I feel. I don't know the character as well as some might, but I definitely didn't love this performance of the character. So, you know, at least there were things I could like about Johnny. And Joey, if this makes it a little bit easier for you, you can make it which guy would you like to have a catch with in the backyard. He can oh. choose between Sue and Alicia. Well, that's oh, another man. question later on. Oh, okay. But I want to know, what guy did you go, okay, yeah, he is so cool. If he was a Ninja Turtle, I'd want to sit in the front seat with him. Well, I don't think, I think what Kevo said, like, I don't think the Reed Richards character, I don't think Mr. Fantastic here is great. I think he's kind of just like a little bumbly and a little put upon, and I don't think that's very endearing. And while I enjoy, I always enjoy a Chris Evans it's hard to look at this and not be like, I just want you to be Cap. Like, just be Cap. Like, I know that this, I know Cap is in there, and I know we're going to get Cap in a couple of years, but like, this is, it's something different. Like, this is like Cap the Ghost Rider remix, kind of, and like, I just, it, it's, it's close, but it's not. So I think, I, I'm not as down on Ben Grimm as other people may seem to be. You know, Nico, you and I talked about a couple of weeks ago, or within the last couple of weeks on Facebook about, no ordinary family that strange abc yes. show and uh julie benz i'm julie benz dexter i can't believe all that happened in the bathtub and um yeah and uh i i think you know i, I like him i i think it's weird that like only a blind woman could ever possibly love him like i think that's a weird lesson to take away from the movie but you know i wouldn't mind and having a catch in the backyard with, uh, with the thing and a lesson they keep pounding on us over and over again through every single interpretation of the character but yeah yeah, so you're you're leaning Ben, huh? You're like, okay, chickless. I mean, I do want, I do, I, I do think that. I also need to say in the first five or ten minutes of this podcast that like this is firmly in the like, I have the biggest crush in the world on Jessica Alba phase. Like this like five year stretch from like Dark Angel through this movie, like encompassing oh, Sin City. Like this is Dark like Angel season one is such a great piece of television. Even when it's bad, it's fun. Everything about like I just you know I don't love her eyes in this, and we'll talk about that I'm sure. But like I just have the I I you know as 
a what was I back in Dark Angel like eleven year old boy through high school age boy like it just I mean my heart goes out to that uh, early two thousand Jessica Alba just like one of my all time movie crushes but yeah of the three dudes I would definitely say Ben Grimm I root for her in this though I really liked her performance mostly I think anything I didn't like her performance was probably the yeah the script uh, trying to force her into the mom role of the group which is something I'm sure happens to the character a lot in the comics as well so that's nothing that is Jessica Alba's fault Uh, I also really liked Ben in this one too I just don't love Ben but I think Michael Chiklis did a great job I loved his rapport with Chris as Ben and Johnny I think you know I I I love Chris Evans's cap too but I loved seeing I love seeing him stretch his acting ability and he doesn't get to play a jackass as much anymore since Cap. And I thought he was a great Johnny as a jackass. I think just very quick to your point about Jessica Alba as Sue Storm as mom, I feel like to bring it over to Fast and Furious for a second, they they write her as a Mia when she kind of needs to be a Letty. And I don't know how she is in the comics, but I feel like she needs to be more forceful and active. And instead she's just den mother kind of. And uh, it's a little disappointing. It's one of those things, like, for me, whenever anybody says, oh, yeah, Wolverine's the asshole with the claws, and I'm like, okay, then if Wolverine is the asshole with the claws, your dad's the guy that fucks your mom, and that's all he is, too. Because you're just underselling all of the other parts of who she is, and it's that cultural interpretation that this movie put her in, because you're right, it actually, in the comics, she does get all of these moments to shine that aren't all maternal, and it's difficult for people who see there's only one woman in it, and she's the sister of one of the guys, and she has no sexual chemistry with Ben. That's never been a thing. So you can't super sexualize her in that regard. And now I'm gonna I'm gonna say a weird thing. For me, I I really liked Eleni Griffith playing Reed Richards because <laughs> I thought that his read was my read is fix everything read. Now anybody who's listening to X's for podcast is gonna be able to say, Nico, you've gotta let it go. But I think John Hickman is here to save us all. And his Fantastic Four was the first time that Reed Richards touched my heart. And his Reed Richards doesn't sleep at night because it's his responsibility to solve everything. And he decides that the only way that he can solve everything is to create a giant convention of reeds that can all work together to save everything everything when was this uh 2006 2007 during my precious john hickman's run nice and the thing about it that really sticks in my mind is that many reads were completely impotent together because they all just kept being like yes but what about my sue and my johnny and my ben the only read that got anything done was the evil read who had nothing left to lose this read like i just i i maybe it's because i always feel kind of put upon and i hate how it makes me seem i want to be lovable i want to be charming i want to elevate the atmosphere of the room but oftentimes all I can do is make a dumb joke and like feebly fall over and I have a huge crush on this read I don't love the performance and again I all of my problems with this movie are the combination of the script and the directing I actually think the script could have been okay I think the directing could have been okay I think the performances are definitely okay it's it's just like not like and they're even the right pieces but it's like somebody put the setting on the director to seven and put the script on a three and put the acting on nine and thought that that was all the same number and it would all work together it just the only clunker for me and that's why he's not on the list is i don't think anybody's allowed to be attracted to victor i don't care that he's nip tuck motherfuck he is awful in this movie he's like look i have brass knuckles now like that's not a no no he doesn't even have that voice it's more like look i have brass knuckles now <laughs> yeah, i, I was baltazar i don't have a sense of him at all other than like he wants Sue because he can't have Sue. Like, that's the only thing I understand about him at all. And I 
that's more of a script thing than a performance thing, but it's still, I don't, like, I know archetypally his role against the Fantastic Four, but I don't get that out of this movie. It's not that that seems out of character for a character like Doctor Doom, but, like, you need more. Yeah. Jess, when you think about Doctor Doom, do you think sexy surgeon who's relocated (laughs) from Miami to Las Vegas, or is it the other way? Absolutely not. I don't know. So this doesn't, this doesn't strike the doom in your heart. No. I mean, it's like you said, he just sounds like a jilted ex-boyfriend. Like, they go out into space and he's like, oh, perfect opportunity for me to propose, not, you know, pay attention to why we're even fucking up here to begin with. Have you ever thought about me proposing to you in front of an event horizon? Wouldn't you like to think about it now? It's like, focus up, man. What are you doing? Right, and like, he's so, he's so inconsistent because he's so concerned with money and he's so consumed with this idea of legacy. He's not actually interested in Sue Storm. He's interested in Sue Storm the Incubator. Yeah, He's interested in Sue Storm the thing he couldn't have. This doesn't feel like a man with a goal. This feels like a man with an obsession. Yeah, it feels like once, you know, it's to bring it to the Joker. Like, I'm a dog chasing cars. Like, I feel like if he got Sue, I don't know that he would know what to do with her. Like, he wouldn't make her happy. Like, I don't know that he, I don't know that he has an end goal here. He's just like, I love her because I can't have her, but then... I don't know what step two is. It really just seems like his goal is power. But the question that follows is, but then what and why? Well, then my question for you, Kevo, is maybe there's some behind the scenes that can like, like how long did this movie take to get made? And how many people touched it in ways that we should really be notified on the script? Before I even get started, as I was looking at the production notes on the Wikipedia article for this film, it's two large paragraphs. And the first paragraph is entirely about the Roger Corman film. Nothing about this movie all about Roger Corman I just one more time and I I don't mean to distract but like I, I really missed that doom this entire movie when he was like huh in the Roger Corman one and he was just like he gym he gymmed for the camera so much I respect them talking about it here well to start back in 1995 Fox hired Chris Columbus to write and direct a Fantastic Four film So that's the guy that was responsible for adapting the first two Harry Potters and then ultimately was involved with directing and adapting Rent, right? Yeah, uh, I think he was also Adventures in Babysitting. I never saw it, but I know that he was really big for that. So like kid fair, fun fair. He developed a screenplay with Michael France, whose work did go on to be in the final film. But then Chris Columbus ultimately stepped down from director to focus on producing with 1492 Pictures. Um, And then the litany of directors that they went through on this film oh my painted god a very it painted a very clear picture for me it's crazy um, they were in succession peter seagal known then for naked gun 33 and a third tommy boy and my fellow americans he was then followed by sam weissman known then for d2 the mighty ducks george of the jungle and the remake of the out of towners are you telling me that in order to be eligible to direct fantastic four you had to direct another movie with a number in the title well there's another director on the list that i know that, that applies to No, and that was a good time to jump in with that because the next one who was in line to direct was Raja Gosnell, who was then known for Never Been Kissed and Big Mama's House and turned down directing Fantastic Four to instead direct the 2002 Scooby-Doo. And the last person to join the film as a director before Tim Story ultimately took over was Peyton Reed, who at the time was mostly known for directing the live action sequences of the Back to the Future. TV series, The Wonderful World of Disney remakes of The Computer Wore Tennis Shoes and The Love Bug starring Bruce Campbell and bring it on. To me, I very strongly feel that Fox wanted this to be a comedy. 
And you know what? The minute you said bring it on, like I hate myself, but I'm pretty sure that like I could just superimpose the Fantastic Four as the Clovers and I would probably make the Frightful Four the Toros. Uh, like I hate, I, uh, I just well, want to see Lin-Manuel Miranda write the musical now. You're making jokes about parallels, but we both know that after seeing The Incredibles, the producers of the film had to force significant changes to the scripts and, signific- and significant changes to the special effects because of similarities. Like that's embarrassing. Now, I know we touched on it last film, but I think this movie makes it clearer. You know, the cast of The Incredibles really are the cast of the Fantastic Four. One can turn invisible. One can speed really quickly. And I know I'm like making a stretch, but he's kind of like the Human Torch. One can stretch. Yeah, Elastigirl. And for all intents and purposes, you know, Mr. Incredible is the thing. And Franklin, their all-powerful son, is the same thing as Jack-Jack, the Incredible's all-powerful son. So this was one of the films where I most notably was like, oh, and the the Incredible... I almost said Chota Boy. I almost confused this with Orgasmo for a second. Um, <clears throat> the bad guy in this is someone from their past that they kind of overlooked but maybe always knew they should have thought about. And it's Incrediboy! And not to mention... The Underminer, (laughs) I live beneath you, but nothing's beneath me, from the end of the first Incredibles, is the Mole Man. Like, it's hard to miss how the Fantastic Four are the Incredibles. Did it stand out more to you guys this movie as well, or is it just me? Oh yeah, it did. Maybe if only because Mr. Fantastic could stretch properly in this movie, so like, it emphasized what his powers were. And you know what, I guess kind of Suze, now that she has her force field thing that she can do, that was was very reminiscent of Violet and her abilities. I, I don't know if these people were ever, I guess, formally attached, but I, when Kevin was going through the directors a little bit ago, I, I read a thing, and I don't know if they were just interested. I don't know. If they, I guess they weren't ever attached. But Sean Astin at one point wanted to direct. Who he, He's not directed much of anything, I don't think. Mostly an actor. But then someone with close ties to this network, in a sense, uh, with an entire season on Steven Soderbergh, was interested in directing too. And so I feel he's made a lot of comedies too i don't know it's just it's wait wait no no soderbergh is isn't soderbergh sex lies in videotape yeah yes but he's made a lot of comedies too like he's he's made everything like soderbergh has made wasn't he pushing daisies too though no no that's or... barry sondenfeld oh yeah that's me that's on me soderbergh did he did tv work he did like the nick he did two seasons of the nick he's apparently that's coming back for season three now um, but he's... what the Clive Owen show? Yes, it's great. Oh, I thought you said the Mick no, starring no, Kristen. The Olsen. Nick. Oh, I wish the Mick was coming oh, thank back. God, I love no, the Mick. The Nick is basically House a hundred years ago. No, yeah, I know what the okay. Nick is. I just got confused. Um, I God, but yeah, no. But Soderbergh, I mean, did the Ocean's movies, but he did like the Informant. He's done uh, Out of Sight, which is a perfect movie. Like he did Aaron Brockovich. Like he's done a lot of huge movies. And in 03, I don't know when he would would have done this, but it's like he's right at the height of his powers in terms of like Hollywood. Now he's doing like weird kind of, you know, just shooting movies on iPhones and things like that and just kind of doing movies in new ways. But I imagine it would have been at the like circa Ocean's Eleven, Aaron Brockovich era of his career that he would have been attached. And like that's kind of a a crazy, like he's made big movies, but like I feel he's never had like a major franchise like not that this is like really a franchise but you know what i mean like a a huge pre-established property no absolutely it is still a franchise and the thing about working in something like this is you do get swept into the franchise of it all the person who wrote the first draft of the script michael france had written the hulk film in 2003 and the punisher in 2004 so these people just sort of like end up working on all these things together simon kinberg 
came in at the end to do uncredited rewrites on this movie. And we all know how we feel on this show about Simon Kinberg from his uh, work on the X-Men movies. <laughs> Huge fans, right, guys? You oh, know, totally. I, I, it's hard. For, okay. I started this project because I firmly believe that the comic book franchise of the Fantastic Four actually does deserve the term world's greatest comic mag. I don't think it's the best comic, but it changed everything. There were families like the Miracle Man family, which Kevo and I covered extensively on X's for Podcast. There was the Super Family, but you know, this was the first superhero actual family. And I in many ways believe in this franchise uniquely. This was a family of people who were superheroes heroes as opposed to like a group of people like the bat family is a bunch of people all wearing the same costume you know these people don't all have the same powers they don't all necessarily align with the way that they want to do things but they come together and i feel like the fantastic four get dicked the hardest the most they've been canceled more than most of the major titles and like avengers reboots x-men reboots spider-man gets a new number one because teenage boys are always going to want to web themselves over him that's just what it is but fantastic four gets legitimately canceled which baffles me and i can't help but feel the disrespect this franchise received kind of and and bleeding into the films that simon kinberg did to the x-men what the fantastic four has always done to itself just blows my mind i'm really wondering when you're talking about like the fantastic four getting canceled like i wonder if there's something inherently difficult about telling stories about these characters. Like, it feels like it shouldn't be. But as we saw, or as we talked about a little bit on the last episode with the Roger Corman one, and then obviously there's two movies here, but then there's the Fan Four Stick, the Josh Trank one. Like, it feels like they can never gain traction cinematically either. And I'm wondering if there's an issue somehow with, like, the not an issue, but, like, an issue with the property like it just reminds me of how like you can nobody's ever really figured how to make a good superman video game because like it's just kind of boring like rocksteady made the great arkham games because batman his skill set inherently lends to a video game like superman's just like oh yeah you're you're too powerful like what like what's the point like i wonder if there's issues either in the way that they gel together people can't it doesn't feel like that difficult to figure out but nico if you're saying that like the comics can never really stay consistent in a storytelling. And we, we know that that's true of the movies, too. Like, what's what's going on on a grander level? Well, the next name on my behind-the-scenes list ties a little bit into what you guys are talking about in terms of it feels like this is cursed or there is some sort of dark magic at work. Because the name I was probably most surprised to see involved in this film, and I'm probably just going to take a step back and let uh, Nico and Joey go back and forth at each other over this name, uh, is Twin Peaks' own Mark Frost. How did Mark Frost write this?! Jess, I don't know how versed you are in Twin Peaks, so feel free to jump in the fray with them as well. I'm just going to let let everyone else wonder how this dark wizard decided to become involved in writing this film. Like, okay, because here's what it is, right? Okay, the best way to explain Twin Peaks for me is imagine you have found a diner, and this diner seems like the 1950s never ended, and you put a quarter in the jukebox, and the next thing you know is it feels like you're being face-fucked by a sandworm from Beetlejuice... And then you're being clawed at by every mistake you've ever made as a TV show for like 30 episodes. That's Twin Peaks, right? Mark Frost, the magic of Mark Frost is pretty much in the fact that he is able to script this hyper surreal world that because David Lynch could direct traffic to an Oscar, he's able to bring
bring to life and their synergy is like thunder and lightning crackling across a storm. Their synergy is perfection. Mark Frost, without a little bit of help from David Lynch, is not my favorite. Well, I, I, I feel like that's probably true of a lot of, and I'm, I'm struggling because now I'm on the spot and I didn't think it, but like I think it's probably true of a lot of creative duos where together there's something about the way that they operate together, but separately, I mean, you know, I love David Lynch, but not everything is as, like, as kinetic or as magic as Twin Peaks, right? I mean, I, you know, it's not my favorite thing he's done. I love it, but, like, I love other stuff more, but there's something about the two of them together that they're able to craft a story together. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And sometimes separate can even surprise you in unexpected ways. When I watched Justin Roiland's solo project, Solar Opposites, I was expecting, knowing that he's a little bit more like the ADHD throws tantrum ones, that it would be like more sour, but I actually found it more optimistic and hopeful than Rick and Morty without Dan Harmon. So it's odd the way people change each other when they come together and then work differently when they're apart and this is apparently what comes out when mark frost combines with michael france and a little bit of simon kinberg i i don't it's just he's okay on on the scale of all four of these movies is this is this regarded as the critically as the best of the four yes i was gonna say probably that would make a lot of sense to me because like the first one like nobody saw and that's just like it was made so they wouldn't lose the license and obviously people don't like the trank one and i know that like if the second one of these i don't remember anything about rise of silver surfer but if it was if it was as good as this one i feel like we would have gotten a third probably so i I imagine it's going to be a step down so this kind of by default has to be the best one but like I think my well, issue. Hold on. I'm, Go ahead. I, I, it's not that the second one isn't as good. It's that the second one took a chance that blew up in their face. Jess, are you familiar with Galactus? No. Okay. I want you to picture the brawny paper towel guy. Yep. Now I want you to put him in a giant purple armor. Okay. Now give him essentially the Pope's hat, but make it purple. All right. That's go. That's that's Galactus, the most powerful creature in the Marvel universe. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Galactus is. All, all I'm picturing in my head is the villain from Spongebob uh, that, like, fights uh, Mermaid Man and Barnacle Boy. You know, I'm not familiar with Spongebob. I, I recently admitted to Kevo and Jonah I've only ever seen no episodes of Spongebob. <laughs> so they showed me four. And it turns out I don't hate Spongebob. It's fine. The musical was a lot of fun. By the way, side note, Nico or Kevo, I think the brawny paper towel guy would be a great... Wait, am I thinking the right one? Maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm thinking Mr. Clean. I think you guys could do him for, like, either cosplay or Halloween. Like, I think just like a... Oh, no, they're both very fuckable. You can... yeah. They're both very fuckable. Yeah. And I'm going to be honest, Jess, I looked up uh, the character that you're referring to. It's yeah. pretty close. Yeah, you're, yeah. Man you're Ray. in the right <laughs> family, for sure. Uh, honestly, though, Man Ray looks a lot more intimidating and threatening than Galactus. Than Galactus. <laughs> yeah, Galactus is pink and purple and embarrassing, and uh, we won't get too much into it before watching the movie, but they decided to make a radical change to the character and his presentation. They, instead of making him an 80-story tall giant who has come to devour the planet with an actual mouth, they went with the Warren Ellis interpretation of Galactus from the Ultimate Universe, making him a sentient cloud of viral energy known as Galactus, which is here to eat the planet as energy and it's not that the second movie isn't good but getting people to accept galactus is a little ridiculous is it that these it movies is. weren't weren't it's not that they weren't 
good. They were fun. They're fun movies. When I started yes. when I started rewatching this movie, I'm like, God, the acting at the beginning of this movie is so like horrible. But once they finally get past, <laughs> like you know, the, you can see them. My my husband actually walked into the room while I was watching it, and he was like, Oh, I like this part when they get um, hit by the cloud and they get all their powers. That you actually see what powers they're gonna get when they're being hit yeah. by the cloud. Like that part's pretty cool because it like provides you a little bit of background. Like, okay, here you can see this is gonna be happening because I've never read any of these comics. So like for me, <clears throat> it's nice because you get a little bit of like, oh, this is what's going to be coming. It's not that they're bad, but is it that maybe the world wasn't ready for superhero movies of this caliber just yet? Yes, I completely agree with that assessment. And I think it fell into an issue that frankly was still not solved for another 12 years with Spider-Man Homecoming, which is we don't need to see this full origin every yeah. single time. Right. There are ways that you can either flash back to it or fast forward us through it but we spent so much of the movie with them dealing with their powers and 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 trying to figure out what's wrong with them and blah 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 the best parts of this movie were when they came together as a team and when they were interacting and having fun with each other yep. so I want to I want to make a weird analogy and I just need everyone to follow me for a second has everybody here seen either Sister Act or Sister Act 2 back in the habit uh both thank god my senior year of high school we performed Formed joyful joyful and learned the dance for it because we were you know that white so i get oh my god i have such memories <laughs> of Lindsay and you doing it together so i guess joey the question is are you familiar with no but i, I no no i'm sorry okay have you ever seen the pilot of charred no yes you're making this real oh hard. no but i know what moment you're going for Thank where you. it's like uh it, like from the end of the first descendants movie <gasps> the the power of four hearts and as one yeah no you are the perfect hot i yeah. can't i can't imagine loving anyone more than you in the whole world oh you got excited about descendants so i can't imagine yeah. loving anyone more either so okay there's this moment in the pilot of charmed where they repeat because they they find a spell in their book of shadows and they just have to say the power of three will set us free which oh. then becomes like a catch-all spell forever but fine whatever it's a beautiful moment where they bond again as sisters and start this journey together and this is actually gonna joey i i came a little too hard at you in the last um f2 f2 2f f2 3.6 the other yeah. And here's where I think I get what you're saying. You make allowances for the errors of Tokyo Drift because the ideological heart of the film is that you can find somewhere you belong. And the parts that upset you about the movie, you can move through because the beautiful idea that this song that is Sean's life is going to come due, right? That's actually where I feel about the end of this movie. Not to jump ahead, but when they all use their power together I, I kind of cried a little bit like like actually a little bit like I felt yeah. hope I felt joy and if the Fantastic Four movies could always be hope and could always be joy I would never have a problem with them but it's all of this focus on Victor being creepy I mean the guy in he's supposed to be like a Wanda Maximoff level sorcerer that's his actual power set he's a god level magician and in this movie he's essentially a hairdryer in a bathtub sir I've always wondered why Sue why would Hamish Linklater ask 
ask that. That's so inappropriate. Yeah, can we get 10 points that Hamlish Linklater was easily the most attractive thing in this entire fucking movie? Also, he doesn't age for the next 10 years, and that makes me uncomfortable. He played, why can't I think of the actor's name now? Julian McMahon, Victor Von Doom's assistant with the glasses, who asked inappropriate questions. Yeah, he still and looks the same the end, on Legion. Like, he looks the same. He's the same person. He's the yeah. same. Yeah. yeah. Oh my god, he is so good on Legion, it's upsetting. But funny enough, before Legion, he was on The Crazy Ones with Sarah Michelle Gellar, which was Sarah Michelle Gellar's next show after doing Ringer with Meow 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 Meow. Yeah, Yoan Griffith. Play, he played her dead twin sister's husband. Yeah, Meow Meow. Yeah. So, yeah, to everything we're saying, like, I feel like we're getting so close to talking about the movie, but there's no difference in this movie's plot and the Corman's movie's plot. Just, you can kind of take out the funny cat burglars going, Meow, take the jewel, Meow. Well, I can even skip the rest of the BTS in a way because t- uh, Tim Story and John Ottman, who are the director and composer, will be returning for the next one. So it's, I'm excited to see how much connectivity there will be between the two, knowing they only ever got to make two and knowing how much of the team did return to make the sequel. I actually do have a dream, like an honest to goodness dream. There's been a rumor going around that Joey was the first person to get to me, but it's been a pretty strong rumor and it goes back to the first ever episode of HTML. In the first ever episode of HTML, Kevo said, I want to do BTS like nobody's business. And we discussed the actors that were almost Tony Stark. One of them was tiny little Scientology himself, Tom Cruise. Mm -hmm. And the rumor is that he will have a minor role as what seems to be a very specific Tony Stark from an alternate universe, which would be, I think he's going to be an adult version of the crossing teenage Tony Stark. That's a lot of words for people that don't know what I'm talking about, but there's a semi-evil Tony Stark teenager that comes to our universe while Tony's dead and that he's possibly going to play Iron Man in Multiverse of Madness. I really want these two Fantastic Four teams to show up. I want this team and the Trank team to both appear in Multiverse of Madness. And the Cormans. I would kill for the Cormans to show up. Like, that's my favorite Fantastic Four movie now, unironically. Okay, but I do have to point out now, since you did bring up Tony Stark and Iron Man, that the composer for this, John Ottman, known for being a frequent collaborator with Brian Singer, his last film, immediately preceding scoring this one, was Kiss Kiss Bang Bang from 2005, directed by Shane Black, which is often credited as what won Robert Downey Jr. the role as Iron Man. I do just want to, because I can't stop talking about it, but I don't know how many people are familiar with who Reed Richards' actual best friend in the comics is. There's only one man that Reed Richards would ever let take care of his family if something happened to him, and it's T'Challa. They're actually soul-bonded, and the lack of their friendship hurts me. Why would you say any of that to me? T'Challa and Reed's best friendship is the cornerstone of the Fantastic Four's connectivity to the Marvel Universe, and I I am just broken that I will not get Chadwick Boseman as the comic panther god of the dead. It just, it, it hurts in a lot of ways. I am genuinely still not processing the passing of Chadwick Boseman. We will probably be doing a Marvel update at some point before WandaVision, and hopefully by then I will be prepared to speak on it, but I can't. There's so many tens of thousands of things that I am devastated over this loss because. Also, everybody, please go out, watch the WandaVision trailer. Uh, that was easily the best trailer I've ever seen in my life for anything. I sobbed through the whole thing. I had five things I wanted from WandaVision, and four of them were in the trailer, including my all-time favorite Marvel magic character ever, bar none. So the fact that I might get my favorite actress from my favorite TV show playing my favorite comic book character is a little bit more than I can handle. All right, but we're not allowed to talk about that anymore. We have to talk about the bad movie. Talk about the bad movie. I have a question for, for everybody here about the bad movie. 
bad me. So when they go to space, and this might have been the first one. Honestly, I don't remember anything about the first one. Again, this could be identical. <laughs> I don't know. But they go to space, and Ben is out doing a spacewalk, right? And there's the clouds that have formed, and Reed has mis- mis- miscalculated, and the clouds are early, and they're scrambling to get Ben in, and they all get hit with their solar radiation, which turns them into the Fantastic Four, mutates them, whatever. I think the movie leads us to believe that because Ben was outside, he got the brunt of the blast, which is why he is the thing and why he kind of looks the way he looks. But the movie also posits that everyone that, and this is kind of just the the mutation gene, like the X-Men thing, I think, that they're all inherently, you kind of always, you were always going to be a version of something, and the cloud sort of brought that out in you. So my question is, if Ben were inside the spaceship when this happened, would he just be the thing but less? I think that's a really good question because I now am also wondering, are there any iterations of the thing that are different based on different doses of cosmic rays? So, okay, it, it involves a bigger understanding of the Marvel Universe's understanding of multiversity and the fluidity of comic book story. The most important comic book coming out right now is not an X-Men book. It's actually something called the Immortal Hulk. It is revealed that Hulk is tethered to reality by something known as the Green Door. And this body horror, complete reversal of everything we ever knew the Hulk to be is not just the best comic coming out on the market right now. It's the most shocking thing I pick up every month. And Al Ewing has done 50 issues of this. Okay, so I bring this up because every time you need to re-explain how things happened, you have to adjust it a little bit. Mutants were a result of the Atomic Age at one point. But you know what? The Atomic Age really killed people. That's so inconsiderate and that's so insensitive. So it's now been changed again. And at one point it was magic. And at one point it was solar energy. As silly as it was in the Corman that Sue, you fade away. And I'm always trying to stretch myself too thin. And Johnny, you're on fire. And Ben, you're addicted to rock. Angry, angry cokehead. Yeah, pretty much. You're an angry cokehead. Good thing he wasn't addicted to horse. So he would have been Beta Ray Bill. So I find my Myself, thinking about the multiversity of the Marvel Universe and the ways that those fibers intersect, I love your question. I'm going to pivot that my favorite interpretation of the Fantastic Four is actually that they are based on the elements. Not so much that who they are brought out a specific reaction, but the possibility of who they are in regard to the balancing of element is something I, I really see. And that is to say, Sue represents air, Johnny represents fire, Ben represents earth. And Reed represents fluidity, water, rippling, and movement, and wave. So I think... I, I, just, I don't know. What Would Reed have been stretchier if he was outside? Would Sue have been invisiblier? Well, to build on that, I have a question for everyone, not to continuously make this episode so philosophical, but I'd really love everyone's opinion. Following the more recent X-Men films, where Beast continuously had the ability to transform back, possibly to capitalize on the, gorgeous, the gorgeousness of Nicholas Holt, but still, for whatever reason, he could frequently turn back to human. Do you think you would perhaps want a less craggy thing or perhaps even one that does have the ability to transform back and forth either through technology or at will because everyone else it's frequently pointed out everyone else has the ability to control their quote-unquote mutations more easily than him johnny isn't always walking around on fire sue isn't always invisible and at the very least i don't feel i've ever really seen a film story where there is a danger of those things becoming permanent i imagine they 
possibly have done that in the comics at some point or another but as far as we know from like pop culture understanding the thing is just always the thing and there's no going back well I, and I really hear what you're saying I think it's that Sue has the passive power because she is a woman and in the 1960s she did not have those force blasts she could turn invisible and had a force field you know and Reed was given a power that to Stan Lee's mind was super amazing and could do anything and stretch and Johnny was given the opportunity to be smooth and cool it's also of note that Marvel owned the rights to a character entity named the fan, uh, the Human Torch and planned on using him no matter what so Thing was the opportunity to tell another form of the story there was the passive woman there was the passive man there was the aggressive man Thing had to be something else he couldn't be another woman there couldn't be two men and two women in a book you already had two kinds of man what could you have a monster so Thing had to be a monster Hulk was able to transform back and forth Beast over in the pages of X-Men was capable of being the same thing without transformation so in the bigger scope this was so they had that story somewhere which I understand but do you feel it is inherently necessary to the Fantastic Four dynamic and the thing himself or do you feel it's something that they might and perhaps even successfully explore in future adaptations I mean it's 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 their great weakness Ben's inhumanity is their weakness Reed is always distracted by saving Ben Ben always wants to give up his powers but then realizes if he does he'll leave his family vulnerable I think we've explored it too much in the films I've gotten it at all I don't need it more now you know Jess you said that you've never read these comics before and you have this understanding of the franchise through the films but that leads me to wonder I don't know if you're a fan of Buffy by any chance never seen it okay good note um I need an example of the Oz fact yeah okay I've got one I've got one I've totally got one okay uh so are you a Golden Girls fan never seen it oh what's happening I didn't, okay. I didn't Friends. watch a lot of TV as a kid. Friends? Uh, yes, I've seen it. Okay, great, perfect. One of the big things about Friends is we're constantly told that in comparison to Joey, Chandler and Ross are both vaguely impotent. Ross has been in a marriage and now he's mopey and he's in love with Rachel. At the beginning, and Chandler makes a number of comments about how he is essentially the submissive weak one to his stud roommate Joey. But as the series progresses, while Joey might have more casual encounters, Ross and Chandler have strong sex lives and a strong number of rotating romantic characters. We're only ever told that they're impotent. It's never shown. Another great must-see TV example is probably George Costanza. It is constantly a story point what a schlub he is, but I've seen so many articles point out for how much of a schlub he is. He constantly had love interests. So, like... So, we're told that the thing is strong and dynamic and yeah, <laughs> Right? How does that play into to watching it you've seen two movies with the thing and both times he's so desperate to get rid of that persona I think it's less getting rid of the persona maybe he's trying to get rid of that persona not physical outward appearance aside you know maybe it's the fact that he thinks that you know he's around these other you know Johnny's not very charismatic but he's around these other charismatic men who no, but I get what you mean. They, like, carry themselves differently. And, like, he's trying yeah. to fit in and not look stupid. So, like, you know, sometimes people equate strength to stupidity. Absolutely. You can be brains or brawn. Right. And for women, it's often you can be beauty or brains. Yeah. So maybe it's he doesn't, he wants to, to shed that outward appearance as well as, you know, being the strong guy in the group because he's also surrounded by all of these genius individuals and he doesn't want to be dubbed the stupid person in the group, you know? just not the muscle now joey how do you feel about everybody's favorite resident aggro crag 
I mean, I said at the top, he was my favorite of the dudes. I think he's underserved in this, but I think that's probably true of everyone. But I think he has a... I mean, what I like about each member of the team is there's a defined thing that each of them do. And to your point earlier about you crying at the end when they all work together, like, they are able to harmonize in a way that each of them has a role and a responsibility, which I think works really well. I like the thing. I mean, I I, I don't know that I have really, truly a, a fondness toward... The Fantastic Four is a property, but I like him as a character. I like that you said he was underserved because my immediate thought was why would he, I agreed, why would he be underserved and what did they amp up instead? And I realized it is probably predominantly for his, you know, appearance being somewhat monstrous versus what do I remember being amped up both from watching the movie and the advertisements back in the day, getting Jessica Alba and Chris Evans undressed. That was all over all of the commercials. The scene where Sue had her clothes off in public, which was completely unnecessary to the plot. Chris Evans holding what was CG'd for the commercial into a towel over his groin, saying, imagine that. But everywhere, those commercials played constantly. Well, do you, and... did you read that the underwear scene with Jessica Alba was only added after she was cast? Oh, of course it was. But I guess it... This is a joke, but I guess it worked because she met her future husband, who was the assistant to Tim Story on this, like, not the assistant director, but, like, his assistant, I guess his personal assistant on set or whatever, would wind up marrying Jessica Alba. So she found love in a hopeless place. Well, and I actually really, really love the distinction there. To hear that Jessica Alba, who has frequently topped the most beautiful women in the world list, married an assistant. Not an assistant director, not an assistant producer, an assistant. Like, that's beautiful, and that really does translate to why, even in a choppy script, she was able to give us who Sue is. A heart. And I really like that about her, and I I really liked hearing that. And it's so interesting, because as Johnny Storm, I think Chris Evans got way too much attention. I think Johnny and Doom got all the scenes because they were the two hottest men. Jessica Alba got the sexy scenes. But this actually started a really tricky slope for Chris Evans. He had been in a bunch of dumb movies where he'd been just as naked as this. But this was the first humongous movie he made where he was the dumb naked guy. And I have to assume, because no matter the shape he's in, I have to assume he can't get away from shirtless scenes because that is his identity. That's what's burned into everybody's mind at this point. Oh, he was shirtless in Not Another Teen Movie, covered with just some whipped cream. And then Fantastic Four, he's wrapped up in just a parka. This guy can't escape the sexuality of his presence. He had to have been shirtless and cellular. And even in, I think it's 2010's The Losers, he will still go on to have a scene where he gets naked in an elevator. Like, it's, it's, it's who Chris is. Which even kind of ties back to why this movie had trouble, I think. They tried to utilize the sexuality of two of the leads... And I guess kind of, I mean, I'm not attracted to Julian McMahon like that. I recognize how he's a handsome person, but it's kind of like Gail Harold. I don't get it, but I guess I get it for other people. Or uh, what's the, the Twilight? I'm Twilight. What's his name? Robert Pattinson. That's it. I don't get how he's attractive, but I get how other people think he's attractive, right? And I don't know. The plot of this movie is essentially the plot of the first movie. Just there's no diamond. And instead, Victor just wants all the power. Oh, there's a diamond though. There is a diamond with the ring that Ben's wife 
leaves on the bridge. Can we talk about the unsung heroes of this film? The strong female characters of Ben's awful wife and Maria Menounos' memorable turn as nurse? No, no, Kevo, I'm, I'm, well, I don't mean to correct you. Uh, sexy nurse is how she's credited on IMDb. Even though, Stop, even, is she really? I only saw nurse, that's great. Even though her character is literally wearing a name tag that says Kelly RN, she is credited <laughs> as sexy nurse. She brought that from home. That's not official. Hey, everybody. I'm Maria Menounos, and this is your first look at Chris Evans' abs. Yeah. So, and, you know, I I do want to say we're all underselling her because she should be sexy nurse Kelly RN with the snowboard. Yeah. I completely forgot, even though I do remember the, ooh, you're hot from the commercials. I forgot that that was Maria Menounos. Again, probably because I was focusing on Chris Evans. Thanks. You are, too. I do, uh, while we're talking about Chris Evans so much, did you see in the BTS, Kevo, who, I don't know if he was ever, if he auditioned, they were just thinking about it, this, I mean, it could be any number of actors, but there's one in particular, close to my heart, that is now right up both of your alleys this summer, Paul Walker, considered for the role of Johnny Storm. That really doesn't surprise me. I think he would have done an amazing job, perhaps even better op- opposite Jessica Alba, personally. He might have, but I'm looking forward to that scene where he's wrestling with Ben and he goes, you still suck at fighting you still suck at fighting you still fight like shit it is my favorite line from too fast he would not be allowed to say you still fight like shit in fantastic four you so, fight like a mook you fight like a mook yeah you fight like a yancey street kid ah, like i can't oh that is something i do have to give this movie props for they really went out of their way to have a lot a lot of fantastic four easter eggs this is one of the few stamios where stanley's character is named and he is specifically a character from the comics willie is the male person person for the Baxter building. So the fact that like and it's it's the only time that Stan ever got to appear as a character he created, I think, if I am not mistaken. That's pretty cool. So that made this really cool. Because to the point where he appears as a watcher, while he was responsible for creating the watchers, the watcher he is most responsible for is Uatu, and he was certainly not playing my precious Uatu. So, uh Uatu's got a giant bald head and he looks like a like a big mutant baby that maybe got into chemical x so yeah so going way back to the beginning of this podcast when kevo talked about how peyton reed who i don't know if we mentioned would go on to do ant-man of course uh was considered or was in the running or was attached his proposed cast included paul walker's johnny storm but charlie's theron as sue storm which is interesting John C. Riley as Ben Grimm, Jude Law as Dr. Doom, and I don't know who this is, Alexis Denisoff as Reed Richards. <gasps> Wesley oh, from Buffy? Oh my Buffy? god! Oh wow. But that's like, that's a, I don't know if that's a dream cast, I don't know if they were all gettable, but like... That is an absolute dream cast! Alexis Denisoff, you do know from the Avengers film Alexa, as... stop. You do know from the Avengers film as the Watcher, that creepy guy who was the intermediary between Loki and Thanos. Uh... It's under a ton of makeup and robes, but yeah, that was Joss Whedon bringing in a friend. They all do. And he's IRL, Allison Hannigan's husband. Oh, okay. That would have been a... Jude Law's Doctor Doom would have absolutely been the greatest gift anybody could have ever been given in the history of the world. I haven't seen this movie, so I can't. I don't. I can't fully process the analogy. But he pitched it as a hard day's night with superheroes. See, and what I was about to say was, I don't. I could see John C. Riley as a comedic 
Ben Grimm. I don't know if I would have been able to take him as a serious Ben Grimm. Not anything against his acting chops, but for a superhero character like this, I, I don't know if he would have been a perfect match to make this any kind of dramatic. I also think Charlize Theron might have been a better Sue Storm against Chris Evans, the way I feel Paul would have been better against Jessica Alba. I don't know. I can see that. Now, I, I gotta know, Jess, how would you feel if you had to switch out America's abs for, you know, Captain Vroom Vrooms? I mean, I still I still think it would be fine. I mean, it's two, still two really attractive men. They're pretty interchangeable here. And, you know, I think my thing is, like, so my favorite drink in the world, like, if I could only drink one thing ever again, it would be a chai latte, right? And Chris Evans as Captain America is my chai latte of superheroes. Seeing him as anything else almost annoys me because, like, he's Captain America. He he made me believe in myself. But, like, I love seeing him get to have a successful career. I don't get Paul Walker. Oh, wait, didn't he do Into the... Into, into the with Jessica into the Alba. Deep, into, into the blue, blue with yeah. Jessica, Jessica Alba. Alba. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, I don't know that... I, I I said, didn't he do swim fan? No. Um, but because uh, I forgot. That was our Shiri. No, no, I switched them. <laughs> oh, Shiri Appleby yes. from Unreal. Nonstop Unreal. So I just <sighs> I don't know. I think because I nothing Paul Walker outside of Too Fast to My Car movies, I think I would have loved him as Johnny because I kind of nothing him now and I Captain America Chris Evans so hard. Right. And there was, there's a documentary, I Am Paul Walker, which they put out a couple of years ago, which I think like the two year anniversary of his death or maybe five year anniversary of his death. I don't know in the midst of our run of Too Fast. And he was in the running, like, he was very close. It felt like if he said yes, he would have been Superman. And he said no. He did not want to get tied down to a franchise for, like, a decade or more. And then he became Brian O'Connor for, you know, (laughs) 20 years, 15 years, whatever. But, like, he has superhero, I don't want to say in his DNA, but I guess when you look as pretty as Paul Walker, you're going to be in the realm, in the running for superhero, for leading men in, like, a comic book kind of movie, I think, right? I mean, George Lazenby got to play Bond. I think you need to be able to put your body through a certain amount of physical punishment to take a role like this. Even though women were talking about that played or would have played Sue Storm, Jessica Alba coming off of Dark Angel, Charlize Theron, who's done a ton of action, you know, Paul Walker, whether it was a superhero film or what it became, which was the Fast Furious films that turned into such an action franchise, you have to be able and willing to put yourself into these positions. Now, to touch on Charlize for a moment and do that thing that I have to do, I actually don't, I don't know how I feel about Charlize as Sue Storm because my favorite Charlize role is super unlikable. She's the best villain in Prometheus and she's just so um, horrid, right? And I can only think of her in roles where she's outright horrid, like the Evil Queen and the Huntsman movies or Prometheus and the other side of it is I can only think of extremes of ridiculous and I'm going to say two things together and I shouldn't say them together but I think about her performances in Monster and Arrested Development and I say to myself I can't see her as Sue Storm however I liked getting to mention Monster because score by BT thank you (laughs) and I'm out I mean, there is the entire and podcast that we did on this network that Nico was on. Je- Montez, you were you were on that, right? Yep, sure was. So we, we've covered her. I mean, I can see her doing anything. She is one of the most dynamic actors in Hollywood. I think she's kind of fallen into a certain type of thing now, but I can see her as Sue Storm kind of be like 
a less disillusioned young adult, sort of, or America's sweetheart, kind of, with like a fiery streak. I can see, I can see it. I would also like to point out that she was the first ever South African native to win an Oscar for a leading acting role. And, you know, considering all of the, wait, Sue Storm can't be Mexican, which, yes, she fucking can, and she was amazing, and she's gorgeous, and you can eat a dick. No one should have made her wear blue contacts. What an oppressive, xenophobic notion that we won't recognize her as Sue Storm, despite everybody saying she's Sue Storm, despite name tags literally calling her Sue Storm throughout the film, that if she didn't have the right color contacts, we might not think she's Sue Storm because she's just so Mexican. I, I, I can't. It's awful. That's bad. It, and also, it like, you cast Jessica Alba in the role because of her recognition, and then, like, you make people like, wait, why? What's like, what's off about her? Like, it took me a while to realize what it was, and then as soon as I did, I was just like, oh, why? And that makes sense, but it's still, it's terrible. It's terrible. I remember when the Harry Potter movies started. They were so devoted to details being accurate that they first tried to make ten-year-old Daniel Radcliffe wear green contact lenses to match Harry Potter's green eyes, and then ultimately, for the first two films, decided to just digitally change his eyes to be green and then after that just gave up because it was so fucking difficult and who actually gives a shit shut up Joe but it turf it does show the insane lengths that people will go to for detail accuracy whether there is a racial component to it or not that's obviously the predominant reason that they did this to Jessica Alba but just to illustrate that these are the things that people feel the need to focus their energy on I still remember Ashton Kutcher refused to take off his Kabbalah bracelet when filming I think Guess Who? So they had to spend like extra millions of dollars to digitally remove it after. For a comedy they needed those digital effects. Financially what ruined the Tomb Raider franchise was having to spend over 60% of the film's budget CGIing out all of Angelina Jolie's body tattoos because it would have made the makeup process too costly. <laughs> Now, I think the main thing I want to focus on to sort of bring this episode to a summary conclusion is the Fantastic Four movies, now that we've watched the same movie twice, and just budgets apart. You say budgets like it's not literally like $99 million. (laughs) It is literally $99 million of difference. I, I, and I, I am just saying it so firmly because again, half of the production details on the Wikipedia article for this movie was about Roger Corman, where they talked about how originally it was five million and they, they, they worked it down to one. So, um, God, so I think the thing that really, when you said a hard day's night, I was immediately kind of furious, but then I thought about it and the Fantastic Four has an enormous history of adorable retro throwback books. The X-Men doesn't get retro throwback books. X-Men get more stories in the past with cutesy art with modernization elements. But, like, Fantastic Four just actually gets Nick Dragota or Mike Allred doing retro shag pop 1960s retro pastiche. And it's spectacular. Because now that you're saying A Hard Day's Night, Fantastic Four, Beatles... Yeah, man. I think the Fantastic Four is at its best when it's a character piece. And that's why I think the weakest 
weakest part of this film was certainly Doom. However, the by far hands down strongest part of this film was Alicia Masters. Now, okay, hear me out. I know I'm already overly attached to Alicia as we discussed in the last episode. She is like my favorite side character of the Fantastic Four universe, but Kerry Washington's incredibly strong Alicia in just a handful of lines had more to say than Doom conveyed through the entire film. I completely agree, and I think that she is the strongest interpretation I have seen so far of Alicia, whether it be film or animated, and I think that, I, I mean, I imagine it's in huge part just due to what a strong actor Carrie Washington is, but, like, even that scene at the end where Ben smashes the glass and, like, she looks annoyed. Like, genuinely. She still clearly has affection for him, but there's no weakness to this character. And think about how hard it must be to stand amongst gods like that. Not only are they some of the most accomplished humans to be alive, having flown into space in an effort to map the human genome by understanding cosmic radiation, but now they're actual super gods. And she stands there and smiles with them because you can't throw her off her game. I love her face when she's confused after Johnny jumps off and then Ben's just like, oh, he flew off. And she's like, oh, okay. Then she's fine. She just doesn't, she can, you know, she can't see. She doesn't know what's going on. So with regard to this as essentially a four-way character piece, I'd love to know what you guys think. What character, minor or major, really let you down? And what character, minor or major, lifted you back up? I mean, I think you guys have already said it. Doom is Doom is a weak character in this in this iteration of the franchise. I mean, he just is I don't know. All he cares about is getting Jessica Alba to marry him and that's really the only thing he cares about. And I love your usage of marry him, not he wants to be in a relationship with her. He wants to own her. Yes. And he doesn't, it's not even necessarily bang her, although there is, of course, the inherent implication, but it is like marriage. And at this point in film history, things were starting to get a bit more racy. So if they wanted it to be sexual, it could have been. Yeah. I think it's a, and the fact too, that he would be winning. So he would win and he would get this thing over Reed Richards. Yes. So the fact that it would make him the better man, even though Reed is, you know, smarter and essentially still a better person. Um, and then, like you said, I love Carrie Washington's character. I love, I love her as, I love her as this character. I mean, she is absolutely amazing, and she just, like you already said, she just has this presence when she's on screen as this character that really is commanding and like you want to whatever she's doing and whatever she what decision she makes you just want to back her 100% and I really hope she helped Ben pick his giant sneakers <laughs> I'm gonna be a little boring I think and I'm gonna say all four of the Fantastic Four I enjoyed I didn't love necessarily any of them but I liked all four of them and I want to see them again together and I'm wondering, you know, I've only seen the second one maybe once. Like, I think I saw this one a couple times way back, like, on DVD when it first came out. I think I probably only saw the second one once. I don't remember anything about it. Samuel Jackson in it? Is he the Silver Surfer? No, it's Lawrence Fishburne. Oh, wait, am I, am I think, I'm thinking Frozone, because he's Frozone. Yes, yes. Yeah, he's Frozone, okay. yep. So, and so you're confusing with Incredibles. Yeah, you're just combining Incredibles. Yeah, like, I want to be really clear. That wasn't a racism. Yeah, that's not racism. That's just, that yeah, was yeah. A, that's a super fanism. Yeah. Um, so what I'm, what I'm interested, what I'm most interested about in the next movie is seeing how the four of these actors, kind of knowing what the characters are a little bit more, how they're able to work together as a family, as a unit. I think I'm interested because I think each of them does well on their own here. I mean, it is an origin story, right? In multiple ways. 
I'm looking forward to seeing how they come together in a way bigger than just one scene at the end of this movie, even though that scene is good. And again, you know, Victor Von Doom is bad. That's there's nothing more to say about that. He's just he's not good. Point made me realize something that I hadn't considered until he was saying that, which is this is going to be our only opportunity to see a cast return. As far as we know, we don't know what's going to happen in blah, 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 the future. But this is our only sequel. This is our only time seeing these actors return to the characters with the same director, some of the same writers, a lot of the same production people, and tell another story. So we're going to get to see how they evolve or perhaps don't evolve these characters between films. Because I think it's really hard both in front of and behind the camera to tell a superhero story starting from scratch, right? Like, I feel that's why, especially now that we're, we have such fatigue, and I think it's different back in when this movie came out, 05-ish, right? Like, it's different then, I think, than it is now. Even though yeah. there was a lot going on then with the X-Men movies and the Spider-Man movies and Batman beginning and whatever, right? But I think you have to, you have to do, there's so much heavy lifting to establish both the world and the characters that it's almost unfair to judge a, a thing until you get a second shot at it. And, you know, maybe this one stumbles. I don't know. We're going to find out. But like, it just, it's a bummer that we don't get to see, that we don't get more opportunity, like a second crack at things. Like I liked to a certain extent, and I'm looking forward to seeing it again, fan four stick. I would like to see them have another shot at like give Josh Trank another opportunity, give Miles Teller and Michael B. Jordan and Kate Mara and the, the other one, sorry, uh, another shot at it. Like, I want to see growth as opposed Billy to just Elliot. like, we, we've seen this already. I don't remember the actor's name, but he played Billy Jamie Bell. He played Ben Grimm. In there the we Panthers. go. Yes, Jamie Bell. Thank you. I knew it. Now, the other thing is the Fantastic Four has a troubly sticky, wicky, 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 wicky kind of problem. And that's the Avengers are terrestrial. The X-Men are mostly terrestrial. Spider-Man is super street level. Daredevil gets kicked in the dick and then drinks some vodka. The Fantastic Four have to manage being super cosmic with being very humble. And that's not something the MCU has attempted yet mm. we've had the guardians who are basically uh what the fuckery of space and that's been a blast but the eternals is going to be the first mcu attempt at what the fantastic four is meant to represent and this next movie we're moving toward is going to be a huge jump into space and that is part of the sticky wicket they find themselves in how do you balance a family when what you're trying to do is save the world i mean it sounds like something it sounds like a job for the car gang yeah and i think I think that's why Fantastic Four isn't up front and why we haven't heard anything about them being included in Phase 4 because, you know, nobody really knows who the Eternals are. So if that doesn't go over well, well, they can learn things from that. They don't want to drop the ball on Fantastic Four again with everything that's happened. So not only has the 11 to 12 years of the MCU already been laid a lot of the groundwork that will be necessary to hopefully revitalize Fantastic Four, but they're even doing things in the next phase to try and test waters before bringing back such well-known and woefully mistreated characters. The Eternals is directed is that's that's the one being directed by Chloe Zhao, right? Yes or no? I believe so. Yeah, because she made The Rider, which was great, and her new movie, Nomadland, is like getting buzzed as going to be one of the best movies of the year. So I think The Eternals is going to be just fine. I think what I'm... Kevin, you're looking ahead to what they're setting up I look back and see, you know, Thor getting spacey and weird, and again, Guardians becoming more prevalent, and I think they're not only setting things up for the future, but they've spent time in Phase 3, like, getting ready for this. So I think, you know, maybe it's maybe the world's not ready for Fantastic Four yet in the MCU, but I think that between what they've done, and Kevin, what you said, like, what they're building toward, 
I think they're positioning to get weirder and spacier. Which you know how much we love big space. Big space! Guys, it has been such a blast going on to this journey in space with you. I have loved unstabling our molecules and cosmically irradiating ourselves and trying to, you know, I actually, in a lot of ways, with all of the opportunities to talk about dicks this week that I didn't is kind of amazing. It is. Good for you. (laughs) You're growing. Because here's the real question. If the thing is uncut, does he now have a permanent case of Rocky Famosis? And Rocky Famosis sounds definitely like the name of a dancer in a 1970s movie. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, look, it's Rocky Famosis. He's driving a Lamborghini. I got nothing but an uncut dick in a dream. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I know. Sometimes things pop into my head that I know he's just going to (laughs) love. So I just have to say them. I apologize. Sometimes I must be callous and strange. Well, one thing is for sure. He is rock hard. Nice. Well, guys, until we come back, Jess, where can everybody find you online? Um, so I have a Twitter. I don't even know my own Twitter handle. JRK. Um, I've got a little website that I have been slacking on. Uh, Unicorn Musings, where I talk about, uh, movies, books, and sometimes the places that I travel to. Um, yeah, go check it out if you want to, or don't. I don't really care. That nice. is such an attract- Like, that cool guys don't look back at explosions. I don't even <laughs> check the hit counter on my Angel Fire page. I now suspect you've been wearing sunglasses this entire recording. I have. I can't see a damn thing. <laughs> and Joey, other than always recording with us, where can everybody find you, not just running this amazing network? Well, I mean, just go to cageclub.me slash Joey to see all the shows. But importantly, as you said, you're joining us all summer long on Too Fast, Too Forever. Wish Montez would join us once in a while via email. But, you know, she's not uh, she's not on board with the Too Fast, the Too Furious, the Fast and the Furious. So just trying to woo her, trying to get Jess over there to enjoy these movies, enjoy the podcast. Such a big fan of Zack Attack, and she does not care at all about Too Fast, Too Forever. Um, Listen, I care. I gotta, I gotta be real, though. Like, for real, for real, for real, I went into Too Fast, Too Forever expecting to do it because I like Joey a lot, and, like, I have enjoyed all of my experiences recording with him. I've actually not just walked away a fan of the franchise, but the discourse has been some of the most fulfilling and engaging discourse oh, I've yeah. had an opportunity to engage in in some time. I mean, it really, like, I don't want to exactly say Dominic is Falstaff, but, like, there is something pretty good going on in this franchise. Maybe by the next time we're all together, I will have... I will have come on over. Wow. Look at you. Look at you, Montez. I'm so proud. But that's it. Just go check out Too Fast, Too Forever, and I'm at Soul Popped everywhere on the internet. Well... As for me, you can find me all over X's for Podcast, which is relaunching as this is X of Swords. You'll also be able to check out matching YouTube videos all crossover long. We're bringing on some amazing new correspondents from all over the country, all walks of life, representing all different sorts of the kinds of people that the X-Men are meant to represent, and I can't wait to get there. You can also find me being kind of thoughty and super naughty over on Instagram and Twitter at NicoAction. That's N-I-C-A-C-T-I-O-N. Nope. It's not Nick action. And I C O A C T I O N. What did I you say? Said you Nick said action. Nick action. No, I didn't. Yeah, you did. And I C O A C T I O N. Oh my goodness, it's late. Nika tie on. <laughs> so, Kevin, where can everybody catch you tying one on? Occasionally, I remember I have social media, and when I do, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Kevo Really K E V O R E. 
<laughs> K-E-V-O-R-E-A-L-L-Y. Um, and perhaps even occasionally on the Facebook page for this program, Husbands Talking More or Less, at Official HTML. Oh, shit. I don't Isn't even remember. Isn't it Real Nico Keva? It's Real, Real Nico, Nico Keva Action, yes. Yeah. No, on uh, only one of the social media platforms. I think it's Twitter had to be Ack because there weren't enough characters. On Facebook and Instagram, it's at Real Nico Kevo Action. Twitter has a character limit, and I just thought Ack applied for some people that the handle is for. Well, and you know, I, I can't wait to come back because clearly working on Fantastic Four and Fast and Furious has left us incapable of spelling. So until we return to have some fun with Galactos. Ladies and gentlemen, it goes without saying, but just in case those in the back need to hear it one last time, Black Lives Matter, Trans Dreams Matter, and you have to vote this election cycle like your weakest friend's life depends on it because all of our lives do. And guys, until we return to the great the great place of Big Space! We did that already. You weren't... <laughs> oh, fuck. Um, oh, God, I don't... Um, space Boat Rock Man. Bye. Bye. Rock Spacester. Ah!